Welcome to the Podcast Consultancy Elite. This podcast is hosted by M2 Advisory and presented by Marlene Sumaharjo. We engage with our elite consultants across the world discussing business strategies, future solutions, macroeconomic developments, and personal beliefs. Dear everyone, welcome to the next episode of the Podcast Consultancy Elite. Our special guest today is Rahan Odi. Rahan and I met on Clubhouse, and on Clubhouse we hosted several rooms and clubs with the mindset to create financial education and awareness for business owners in the hospitality sector. Rahan is Managing Director of the Asian Restaurant Owners in the UK, with more than 2,000 members, paving the way to position Asian food on the world-class cuisine. Rahan will elaborate more on that. Together with Rahan's enthusiasm and rhythm, and speaking capabilities on Clubhouse and outside that, we discovered that a majority, at least 85% of the small business owners in hospitality do not incorporate financial steering within their daily operations. These activities are more dedicated to the accountant or in some case to the manager. However, we find it quite important that integrating forecasting, budgeting and cash flows into your operation create more sustainability and increase continuity chances. The element I brought into the educational approach was managing your risk. As we've seen during the pandemic, the business had to pivot and hone their processes and adequate and risk management is a necessity to have in place to both cater for your financial risk and also managing your cash flow, thus financial management. But we will touch on this uh, later. For now, let me please introduce my guest, Rahan. Hello, Rahan. How are you? Really well. Thank you so much for having me here today. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you for being on this show. Are you excited to attend this podcast? Yes, yeah, truly excited to be here. Um, it's going to be great to sort of delve into the vision uh, of what I have for for myself, my business, uh, and being able to share it with all of your podcast listeners. Well, that would be lovely. So I already mentioned that I met you, you know, now for a couple of uh, months and uh, uh, just to just get to the, the audience to get to know you a little bit more. Uh, I would like you to tell me a little bit about your upbringing, introduction into the hospitality and restaurant and where are you now? Yeah, fantastic. So for, for me, uh, born and bred into this industry of Asian hospitality, my parents have run uh, restaurants ever since I was born and really found myself joining forces with them at the tender age of 11, uh, working in my parents' takeaway. They'd fallen on hard times. The recession hit in 96, and we were really up against it. And myself and my sisters were working alongside them. I was packing takeaways and taking telephone calls at 11 years old, um, building and, and, and actually not knowing them, but learning a, a great deal. It's amazing to see how much I actually implemented with the business and how I was able to um, impart my knowledge from then, um, even to now uh, with uh, new members of staff that joined my team. But interestingly enough, if there was something missing from the bag and I was getting a complaint at 11 years old, I'd just get um, traumatized by the whole ordeal of someone shouting at me down the phone, I'd hang the phone up um, and they'd phone back and my mum would come on and go, you can't do that, it's not acceptable. So these lessons, just as, as a kid, um, working seven days a week after school, going in, 
um, not really having that uh, ability to go to my friends' houses or go and have a kick about in the park after school, going away on holiday. None of that existed from 11 to 18. So during that time, going in through takeaway businesses to eventually getting a restaurant after that, um, to managing my first restaurant at 16 years old and being able to work out how do you manage the kitchen? How do you manage the front? But ultimately being left to my own devices to work on it was just a ridiculous notion that you would never see today. But going in at 16, um, I already technically had four, four and a half years under my belt. So it wasn't as though I was going in with zero experience at 16. I had definitely done a lot of customer facing interaction uh, between that time. So moving on, uh, and and going on off to university uh, and learning uh, about media production and then going in uh, and setting up my businesses now, I am very much geared towards scaling my operation um, in a smart food dining experience that I, I guess we'll get to talk about a little bit later in the show. That would be perfect. I would love to hear about this. I know because we, in the beginning, when I first met you, we were discussing this element of digitalization. How would this impact your business? And uh, how would you sprinkle this out within the hospitality? Because you will see traditional uh, hospitality. And to my point of view, there is this, this knowledge that you need to um, just need to build on a, on, on a different world uh, that just can also cater for your for your customers and then uh, and just look at it from a different approach. So I'm really uh, look forward to hear about that. So you've been working in the family restaurant since your age of 12 and you also studied media production. Can you mention how did this study change your business approach? Oh yeah, massively. Like from, from learning about um, the media was one thing, but for me, university was all about escaping from the restaurant, believe it or not. Um, having done um, several years in the business from 11 to 18, it was all about me. My only mission was to get out. <laughs> I was like, I've done my seven days a week for the past seven years. Um, university seemed like the best way out. I was got from year nine at school I flipped it around. The teachers were amazed by my uh, sort of turnaround of, of my education uh, because I was like, right, time to sit at the front of the class because this is the route out. I make it to university. I still have to travel back every weekend on my 250-mile journey from Leicester to Torquay to work every weekend. But even that respite during the week was enough for me to be like, it's still worth it running through media production and learning about television, learning about radio, learning about uh, editing, branding, connection of media, culture and society and bringing all of those elements together. It's amazing how well they mapped to my restaurant and how well I used them when I, when I did return after my short stint at the BBC. Um, far more money in the restaurant game than there is uh, working um, for, for the television company, but it was more about passion. And one of my um, lecturers, Martin Hargreaves, I remembered it to this day, he said to me when I built a trailer uh, for the introduction to a cooking show uh, for my coursework, he said to me, he said, sometimes you need to know where your passion lies. And he was reference was, we were making thrillers, we were doing all kinds of work and I was getting decent grades not too bad, but I think I scored in the top 90s for this project. And his point was, I can see what you love doing. Um, 
his words didn't really resonate with me till a couple of years after that. And then I understood what he was saying when I went back in to the restaurant trade and just feeling far more alive than I ever did behind a desk um, in the city of London. And it was that point I realised that it's connecting what I've learned in certain aspects and my degree and the restaurant. So when you say media production and Indian restaurant, how do they connect? Like it's not really been done before. So connecting those two elements together was always going to be what I had to do because they were both my passions uh, and making them work in the same arena is not exactly easy. What can you do? Make a menu, design some graphics. But I took it a bit further and implemented all of my video content to social media from 2010 and was able to build a connection with my audience that none of my competitors had. They still don't have it. And, and being able to have that space solely to myself from the Asian sector, I can now compete um, not just with the Asian sector, but I compete with European restaurants, other genres of food as well. And I'm able to compete at, at the highest level. So for me, answering the question, the media production uh, element of, of my learning um, I was able to implement that into my business and I still do today as I still learn more about media um, because branding for me is 80% of the job. There's a lot of places that cook great food. There's a lot of places um, that have um, great chefs, but if people don't know about it and people don't, they want to wear your brand like a badge of honor, that's a huge advantage um, that you have. And for me, that's something that I'm very much geared towards, putting a, a lot of effort into the brand. Oh, that's very good to hear. I think it's, like you said, it's very important. And I think we should really uh, well, uh, celebrate that your lecturer mentioned your passion because it's very important to know your passion. It's this fire that burns within your side and then you know that everything that you're just going to envision, that it's just coming from that place and uh, trying to focus on that and just uh, building and creating that. Um, that is something that you would well, probably have seen as bigger, biggest um, uh, advantage also to try to try to implement this within your very traditional family. So can you please tell a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, look, the family were very based on manual labor intensity. They were, mom and dad were always geared up to have a lot of staff. Um, the overheads that they had uh, within their businesses through to when I was 17, 18, were all geared around um, a lot of, of, of overheads uh, for the business. And, and some of them were just not necessary. So when I um, joined Bombay Express uh, and took over the running of the restaurant, it became about stripping those overheads back. What didn't we need? What could we take out? So my parents were very much about manual labor intensity um, within the kitchens as well. Uh, and a lot of the arduous work has now been replaced by technology, thankfully. Um, but for me to make those changes, I mean, in Asian culture, you're either a doctor, lawyer, or a failure. And and for me, um, or an accountant. <laughs> yeah, or an accountant. Yeah, there you go. Um, so uh, for me, it's always about um, uh, uh, making that point that actually, as a restaurateur, you can be um, equally as successful or further than, and also be able to, to showcase the finer points of what you're doing. Now, business management, 
um, especially when you're looking at profit and loss, especially when you're looking at the numbers, doesn't always um, appear in, in Asian hospitality. And it's a, one of the key topics that we host on the Asian Restaurant Owners Network all the time. So from their point of view, it was about hard work pays. The numbers weren't a factor. Just work hard and there'll be some money in there somewhere eventually. Um, and for me, it wasn't about that. It was about stripping back those things. So I understand when Asian restaurateurs, especially the next generation coming through, all they want to do is change the way a napkin is folded and the, uh, the, the parents don't even want that. So it's very difficult for them to change a 300 item menu, which was the challenge I was presented when I took over Bombay Express. And I said, we're cutting it in half. And the opinion was we wouldn't have any customers left. And I was like, well, we won't make any money if we don't do this. So um, the challenge was set. I had to uh, sort of compromise on a few things, but hey-ho, uh, over the first three months, nothing changed other than the bottom line uh, and we were making more money, which was which was good. And once that was done, the eyes were suddenly opened up to a new world from the parents and they were uh, very more uh, sort of interested in what I had to offer. So building those elements on the menu first and then moving into the kitchen and optimizing that process by removing the tandoori oven, which people at that point thought I was insane um, and bringing in technology um, like the rationale combi ovens and the NAR machines um, to de-skill processes, but more so increase the speed and, and the optimization of the kitchen to deliver fresh food at speed um, at very high quality. Well, you know, I'm all about that. Just just taking that from your core competence, looking at your processes, looking how, how the most efficient way you can uh, design your processes and then just deliver this quality that is uh, at a very good pricing, that gives you profits, um, generates profits, and then have just sustainable and just healthy organization that you can build a, uh, uh, around that. Uh, so you're, you're busy with that. That is that those are your... Um, uh, well, your, your future plans or that, that is, uh, is just coming from this ambition. But I also see that there are some uh, developments and changing that more towards your vision, which you would like to build on. Um, we will also talk about that in from, from the um, Asian uh, restaurant owner perspective, but I would like to let you just tell me now how it's more from your vision, taken from your vision and the uh, Bombay Express and, and Rehan's uh, future perspective. Yeah, I mean, look, the vision um, is a culmination of areas that I have gone through over the course of time. So even from the age 11, even to my media production uh, element of work, the whole vision is stemmed from um, that journey. Now, going through all of those processes from running out the car, doing deliveries with my mum at age 12, um, to actually driving and delivering myself as soon as I passed my test, um, so everything has been geared towards this. I mean, my entire uh, life growing up, everything's been etched within the restaurant hospitality, but so much so that the hours that I've put in have been excessive to the point that I'm paying very careful attention to the micro elements that are existing within my business. But on the vision on what I want to create and what I want to see is I see so many restaurants out there struggling. I see so many restaurants out there um, under pressure, manual labor intensive. And for me, 
I want to be able to build a product. I want to be able to build a brand. I want to be able to build a franchise that doesn't rely on manual labor intensity, doesn't rely on the excessive skills that are needed in every single department of that kitchen, but more so a system that produces high quality food at, at speed consistently and we're able to deliver that and the food stand up in a healthy uh, and, and very health conscious way. So it's not about serving up junk and getting people through the door and just serving them. You, the concept of what I'm building is food that smiles, food that makes you feel good, not just on the outside, but also on the inside as well. And that's really important um, to what my vision is. And being able to create that and spread that across the UK is something that I want to do. So my mentor, Anwar Mia, was teaching me um, only some four or five years ago. And we were building an elevated menu. It was very fine dine orientated. It was all about the finer things. It was an area of um, cuisine at that level that I hadn't been through, hadn't uh, really explored to its fullest extent. But the scientific notions that Anwar shared with me, the scientific elements are the reason I'm able to go down this route now. So this vision of what I have today is the culmination of early learning, um, working out my mistakes as I've gone through, not ever wanting to do it again, to wanting to do it for the rest of my life. So <laughs> when you look at the, the, the journey of all of those things, I had to take those hits. I had to be beaten down to where I just wanted to eradicate it from the earth to actually building it up from the ground up. And the Asian Restaurant Owners Network is testament to that because I get a bird's eye view of what's actually happening out there. I can see from the smallest family-run takeaway to the corporate Michelin-starred restaurant and everything in between, which gives me that what um, people are doing right, what they're doing wrong, what's not working, and what great ideas out there that I've never heard of before. All of that information, all of that data, is so valuable to me that I can implement all of those things in an algorithm that fits the pro forma for the British public, for the restaurant owners, and then for myself as an entrepreneur that wants to build a legacy um, through this vision. So if it's about building something that's going to last a lifetime, then the foundations have to be cemented in um, stronger than ever. And at the moment, what the Asian hospitality sector have is shaky foundations because it's built on manual labor intensity and the ability not to want to change. Pricing is such an issue where people are pricing products at a loss. Um, paying staff is an issue because they don't want to be on the books. Illegal immigration is an issue and illegal unemployment. All of these issues that are present in there fit into the current uh, system that world where uh, taxation where employment and everything is under the under the magnifying glass those restaurants out there are sitting ducks and the implement of what i want to do especially with the asian restaurant owners network is get them ready for what's to come um and that being our our tagline for the network ready for what's to come so the vision is about that um, and it's about making sure a 4.8 billion pound industry is still here um in years to come 
I think, and with your contribution, it will just definitely state that. But then on the other hand, a small, very big portion, as you already mentioned, which is uh, eventually fade out. Uh, it's like you said, if, if you're having, uh, and you have this bulk, you, you're, you're, you're creating volume with low prices. At some point, how do you pay the bills? And it's just, it's all about surviving, but it's just all about surviving and just having this passion that you would like to uh, expose to everyone. But it's not about your passion and exposing your passion. Your, your passion is also about having a very healthy financial uh, organization, which thrive and makes, makes um, wonderful revenues for everyone to benefit from that. Yeah, and I mean, look, if, you, if we're going to be creating the, the, the revenues here, and we want to be creating that. Um, I, I still want to see my, the vision is about seeing these restaurant owners still flourish. So it's about making sure that there is something there for everyone. Um, and this is not about um, an egotistical journey um, to, to eradicate other restaurants. I think that's something that uh, definitely shouldn't happen. It is about making sure that these restaurants, um, if they choose to do so, take on these new methods, take on this optimization and still build. Because look, the knock-on effect of a lot of these restaurants are that they are connected to other countries. So they're connected to Bangladesh, Pakistan, India, Sri Lanka, Nepal, uh, the list goes on. And the byproduct of all of that is there is uh, a lineage towards the third world. There is a lineage towards um, other elements and these businesses support multiple families in some cases so it's not just the case that we want to go through and, and, and absolutely annihilate competition left right and center no it's far from that the bigger picture the bigger vision is that the byproduct of this is that not only one central area uh, benefits the entire world gets the drip feed off the back of this and it's not something that we see uh, currently from corporate uh, entities around the world this, they may have some initiatives that are based out there, but these are the byproducts of what um, Asian culture is. Family, feeding down, making sure everybody's okay. And that's very much where the vision comes from. So whether it's our, the employees of the business or whether it's um, business uh, potential future franchise owners, the ethos is there that this must pay forward. That I do agree. And that's what I said also in the beginning, we have this, we have this mindset and we would like to just create this awareness that it's, it's, it's all about creating this legacy, whether it's the financial part of it or whether it's the socioeconomic part of it. It just all integrates with that, but it starts with just creating this mindset that you just would like to expose and, and, and exploit on your passion there needs to be a financial driven activity behind that, which is healthy and that you can provide for your family or others or your employees on that. So just bring me to my next question, because you mentioned that you would like to elevate the Asian side of the cuisine, but what would happen if you would stay gener generic? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. I mean, for, look, if I stay generic, I don't think I'd have pride in my work. There'd, there'd be a lot of things that just wouldn't sit well with me. It's a lot of mass production. There's a lot of food coloring. There's a lot of onion content. And we did a post on my Bombay Express restaurant page the other day. And it said, um, Bombay Express kicks out the BS. Um, but not BS in the circumstance of what everyone's thinking right now. We were talking about bloated stomachs. And it's to do with the onion content because there were, in most circumstances, there'll be diced onions, onion uh, sauce, and then there'll be chunks of onions in there. Onions generally bloat your stomach. Um, 
And it's why most people after an Indian meal feel overwhelmed. They feel uh, sitting back in the chair, whew, couldn't eat another bite. And that's because of the, um, the bloated stomach from the excessive onion content in the dishes. So for me, it was all about getting away from all of that. I didn't want to be apart from that. Asian food is complex and it's looked down on by a lot of the culinary industry, uh, specifically the French, in terms of their cooking processes. But actually, if you look into it, uh, a basic chicken curry consists of 22 ingredients at which those spices have to be cooked out and the essential oils released before you can start the rest of the cooking process. So knowing all of this scientific knowledge and then bringing that in, it surprises me that there is no um, technical schooling for this um, anywhere in the UK or in an industry that's worth 4.8 billion pounds. However, had I stayed in the, in, in the, in the uh, generic process, there would be a menu that would be over 280 items long, mass produced, overcooked, um, not being able to regulate in a tandoori oven where the bottom of the skewer is cooking faster than the top. Um, so there's no even cooking. So we're having to like deal with all kinds of issues on generic elevated cooking. We learn about um, cooking times. We're looking at the complex combinations of, of spices uh, and being able to deliver on the, the point where we can tell you exactly what sensations you're going to feel as you try one of the dishes, where the chili is going to come in, what flavor is going to come in last, where the lemon's going to hit on your tongue during that whole process. So we can really break that down for you uh, and really take you on a brand new taste memory journey. Uh, and I think that's where the elevation of what we're, we're creating is so important that I just couldn't fathom not having done this now. Like there's just no turning back on this. It just wouldn't be able, I'd have to take a career change if I was going back to the generic mode. It just wouldn't happen. What does your father think about that? Because so, yeah, I mean, for him, when I was trying to implement the cooking changes and procedures, it was a case of having to show him first, make sure that it matched up to what uh, was before or it was better, making sure that those curries being tasted by all of the uh, staff who are non-Asian, that they accepted it first because if they didn't say it was okay, it was not okay. If I said it was fine, it, it, it didn't count. So it had to come from them. Once that happened, then it was allowed. Uh, we had the, where the blessing to go ahead with it. But look, a lot of the changes that I've made have increased revenue. And I think once my dad saw that you could work, um, you didn't have to work as hard and you would make more money, that started to seem more and more favorable to him. And eventually to the point is like, what can we do now? <laughs> that, that's very good here. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what I knew. I was like, right, I'm on to something here. Because if I can make him a believer, I can make anyone a believer. Um, because he's the most skeptical. But oh, that just yeah. comes from probably he wants to protect you. It's just, um, well, he doesn't, um, coming from his background, he will probably would like to protect you. And that, that's why he's very cautious. I think, thing thing. Well. I think there's another thing to it as well, just, just to point out, because I spoke about this with somebody as well, in that one of the interesting things was when he, we were in the restaurant, there was a real drunk lady that happened to be there. She's come behind the bar and started messing around with the things. I've lost, I've lost it a little bit and just... Just had a go at this lady like get out of the bar what are you doing blah, blah, blah. my dad then shouts at me 
apologizes to her and says, sorry, 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 this, that, blah, 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 blah. I'm getting mad at him. I'm like, why are you taking her side for? And then years later, after that argument, I got forgotten and whatever. I realized that his point of view was customers that he's creating and they're all money. They're all revenue to him. So his only way of making sure that they still come in is making sure that they are accepted and they want to come back. That was it. And like, as long as they, they're coming back, it doesn't matter what they do. Let them do what they want. But for him, not having an educational background, coming to the country at 11 years old, uh, standing on milk crates to wash all the dishes, like similar stories and, and similar replication of what uh, I was doing, but on a whole nother level. Um, and for him, it was making sure that he was feeding his family, that he had the money coming in. And those were his attributes that he needed to fulfill. My ones are more um, uh, geared towards self-worth and, and, and achievement and wanting to build something that is going to, but for him just to come out from a tiny inconspicuous village in Bangladesh to the UK was already mission complete. Um, so different lines of tact. So his protection version of what he wants to do and my version is very different, but we're coming from different upbringings as well. Yeah, that's important to mention because it's just, it's like you mentioned, it's your vision. It's now on the, in the, in the, in the, in the present times and, 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 and conditions have changed. So there is also a possibility then to just to grow from that point of view. 100%. So, well, I would like to have then the next question. We already talked about the uh, Asian Restaurant Owners Network, uh, about your role and the ambitions. Um, what would happen if you did not make the uh, Asian Restaurant Owners Network? I mean, that's an interesting question. I mean, for me, that bird's eye view I referred to, not having that wouldn't uh, wouldn't have allowed me to progress. So I wouldn't have had been able to see what's happening in Scotland, what's happening in Liverpool, what's happening in London, um, and really get the idea of... Um, whether it's highly populated areas, what's working there, what's working in smaller populated areas, what's working on a takeaway that's got 400 items on their menu, why are they hitting uh, 11,000 pound turnover a year, um, but their break even's nine. Uh, <laughs> I mean, looking at those issues and problems that present themselves, and they're, they're, they're a bad week off not breaking even. I mean, they, they have a bad week um, and they lose money very quickly so for me it was looking at those processes looking at actually how they are are cooking and speaking to the owners i mean all of that information is just ridiculous um data that i have access to um just phenomenal the other side of it was the exposure um chefs forum picking up on what i'm doing rationale picking up on what i'm doing becoming their social influencer as well um and then connecting with uh, businesses in London. So hospitality and catering news do a lot of work with them. Uh, none of that, none of that happens uh, from a, a restaurant based in the Southwest in a little town called Torquay, where the Asian population is less than 1%. Uh, it just doesn't happen. Like you'd expect something like this to come out from London. You'd expect it to come out of Manchester or Birmingham, but you'd never expect the English Riviera to be the home of the Asian restaurant owners network. Uh, and presenting um, somebody who's now considered one of the leaders in the Asian restaurant hospitality sector in the UK 
uh, and making some serious noise as well. But again, none of this happens without the support of the Aaron family. None of it happens without the support of uh, the businesses that can see the vision. So when I'm speaking to these corporate entities and I'm explaining to them that you need to be in this industry, it's worth 4.8 billion. How do you map yourself in there? Let me show you. I will show you how we map into your business. But this is over the course of time. If you can implement your products into these businesses, not only are you making the the businesses optimized, not only are you giving them an answer to their problems, they are going to be with you for a very long period of time, if not forever, because your products map perfectly. The only reason you couldn't get into the sector is because the other so-called leaders of the industry are mapping to their ego and their own financial benefit rather than inputting into the industry uh, and letting people thrive uh, themselves. So like I said, it needs to trickle down um, into the system. But to be able to do that, you need to be able to give um, a, a platform that people can, can propel themselves off, man, woman, or whoever, they need to be able to have an equal opportunity to be able to do it, but also a platform that allows them to, when the doors are open, let them through as well and not shut it behind you. So would you say uh, Aaron just um, caters for that? Absolutely. So um, our award show um, in 2019, when, when we had that, was all geared towards uh, women's empowerment. Um, we presented an a, 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 a award um, to the guardians of the industry, uh, and they are the women. So in the 70s, 60s, um, the women of the uh, uh, Asian hospitality sector were all the chefs in the kitchen. They were the ones cooking. They were the ones putting in the hard graft. I mean, back then it was proper work, skinning the chickens. Now you can just buy them already done. Uh, back then, they all had to be cut. Um, manual labor was just ridiculous, and they all did it. They all faced the racism. They all faced the the fights and everything that would kick off. Um, a funny story of my friends was fight kicks off in, in, in the restaurant in the in the 70s. His mum came out with one of those massive Carlsberg ashtrays and bam, takes them out of the game. And these are real stories. These are actually what happened. Uh, and it was a it was an every weekend thing. My dad tells me the rugby players that you should just walk into the restaurant and eat off people's plates and how they had to deal with it. I mean, these are there's nothing I have to deal with. This is what the previous generation had to go through. So for us, when we're looking at the Asian network uh, and we're talking about what has happened in the past, where we've come from, the legacy, what we're trying to do, why we need to keep operating as businesses to keep the industry going because of all the strides and struggles that have happened before. Very, very important. It's interesting that you mentioned and interesting how it changed, how the role of the female changed during the process. And it's yeah. now just, and, and it really needs to have this network again, just to just put the females. Uh, again on. Female chefs uh, and, and female business owners, uh, entrepreneurial business women that in the Asian sector that are absolutely smashing it. And some of them are, have so much, um, ingenuity and ideas that they are breaking the the molds of what it is to be the generic restaurant i think that they've actually set the bar one of my um sort of uh people that i look up to 
um, Tanya Rahman from Chit Chat Chai, just phenomenal marketing presence, great branding, great menu choice, shorter menus, um, and somebody that definitely inspired me, um, probably definitely in my top three people that inspired me from the Asian hospitality sector. Lovely to hear. You already spoke about the data that you're gathering, which is a very uh, important element nowadays. Um, just, just can you tell me how you combine the data that you have available and then just re-engineered and redesigned your processes? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, some the data from the Asian Restaurant Owners Network is one thing, but the data from my customers is another. So the data from my customers will Im Im implore a, a delivery map. So it will show me on my electronic point of sale system where the deliveries are, how frequently we go to those areas, which roads are more popular, where we're not delivering, which is always a good point uh, to know. Um, and then also what dishes are selling the most, what's not selling at all, which gives us the opportunity to change the menu up. Our new menu that's coming out um, next week uh, is brand new. There are new items that have never been sold in Bombay Express before. Be interesting to see those figures on a month by month basis. And then really go and relate to see how the margins are affected as we go through the process of uh, our tax being increased in September and then again in March. So that's going to be interesting to see as well with imports uh, and our, our purchasing to see what prices. I mean, peppers have fluctuated. They were $16.50 last week. This week, they're $14.50. God knows what they'll be next week. Um, so we're just working out how that um, will implement but from the data elements of emails addresses and being able to market to people what we're going to be marketing looking at actually let's split the customer base up these are the people that spend under 30 pounds these are the people that spend over 30 pounds we'll have a marketing email drop to the above 30 in one respect and the other one will be different for the other one um, and just really building a character customer profile of what we need to do. And we're only able to do that because we've collected the data, we can look at it, we can analyze it in, se in several ways. And it allows us to be able to deliver um, a more prescribed and personal approach to our customer base. It's a very good approach. I think it's, um, it just shows you in, in, what, in, a, in, a, in a innovative way that you're thinking about how to approach, how to sustain, and also how to build on a future legacy. So it's, I'm very, um, I really love the approach. I would like to know what is your most successful period and then the future plans from um, your most but, successful period. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess my successful, most successful period for me was learning about the science of the food with Chef Anwar. And it was about understanding how food comes together, how um, the science of food uh, really connects the cuisine. So when we're talking about Asian food, uh, people can generally think of it uh, as, as curry and rice, and that's about it. But actually, how does that curry made? What is the procedures for that curry to be cooked? How do the spices come together? When do you drop the acidic elements in? All of these factors that come together, which will completely define the end result of, of the food. My new menu, based on smart food dining, what is it that you're putting into your body? How does that affect your mood? How does it affect your characteristic? How does it affect your gut, most importantly, which is connected to everything um, in your body, uh, even to your mood? So all of those things wouldn't have been possible had that uh, position of, of bringing Anwar in 
um, and connecting with him and, and learning from him. One of the key things he said to me was, uh, after three months of working with him, he said, um, look, I, I'm, I'm really concerned. Uh, and I was like, oh, must be doing something wrong. And, he's, and he was like, well, no, that's the problem. You're not making mistakes. And if you don't make mistakes, you won't understand the science process of, of what it is and why these things are happening. And I said, well, from my understanding, and I detailed out to him about how the processes and the compounds break down and how they connect uh, and to create a whole new um, area of taste and flavor. And he was like, well, I'm a little less concerned now because I'm glad you understand the science of it. But for me, having gone through the process and, and taking chemistry at, at A level here in, in the UK, I had a good understanding of science. And I think science and food are very closely related. So having that, that I think for me was the biggest uh, point for me in, in, in my career. And then where we're going in the future, I mean, smart food dining, the process of actually having something that's very much about clean living, clean eating, uh, and a, a food that smiles is our catchphrase. That's something that I, I am very much interested in doing growing the business, scaling the business into a model that doesn't rely on manual labor and skills, but can be a, a blueprint that can be um, copy and pasted as a franchise model and that not only elevates um, the cuisine, but also elevates the business owners so that they have a, a procedure and, and a business that can uh, they can then have and implement that doesn't rely on them having to work ridiculous hours and also um, peeling 12 bags of 25 kg onions every day, every week. So for me, it's about making sure that um, there is a livelihood behind it. There's also providing local jobs, but it's also an optimized approach. It doesn't require five people um, in a kitchen brigade of all types of skills. You will require two line cooks that will be able to put all of this together very, very simply. I really love that. I think uh, it's like you said, I just haven't just taken this from the, just this vision. I would like to have to create this leg legacy. I would like to uh, implement uh, more efficiency in my, in my processes and then having that reflected within, within your very healthy uh, profit and loss, uh, creating uh, multiple businesses and then just growing and scaling up from that point of view. Those are the steps that I think those are very important that you mentioned and you, you uh, elaborated on that. Um, I think uh, from my point of view, the listener has a very good uh, uh, notice of what you have been doing and where you're, uh, where you're heading to. Is there something else that you would like to add from an uh, uh, environmental point of view that you would like to add to your legacy? Yeah, I mean, look, it's really important that we look after Mother Earth. And I think it, that even comes from everything you eat has been grown from the ground or is supplied food from the ground. So if we're not looking after Mother Earth, that is our literal pantry. That's where we get everything from. So it's really important that we take those steps. When we're looking, I mean, we're not a, a, a vegan restaurant. That's not what we are. We have an incredible amount of vegan items. All our drinks are, are listed uh, that are vegan, are, are, are tagged with a vegan logo, but we're not a vegan restaurant. When we are sourcing our fish, we're making sure that they're line and pole core. We're making sure that we're making the conscious choice to buy local products, to invest in the local community. But when we're looking at our packaging as well, making sure everything's recyclable. I mean, there are elements of plastic that 
just at this very moment are not financially interchangeable. They're just not. It's, I mean, from it's triple or even four times the price in the comparison. So for, for, for businesses, it just doesn't make financial sense. And I get that. Um, you'd have to put the price up for the customer and is the customer willing to pay that? So there is this compromise somewhere, but ultimately most plastic products are able to be recycled and making sure that they can be is one thing. Um, but where we can, so with our gunpowder grill boxes, these are all uh, card based. These are all uh, made from uh, recyclable material as well. Um, our bags as well, all recyclable. So it's making sure that we can do that. Wastage is another one. So having food waste recyclable bins is another issue. And specifically for Asian restaurants, some um, will have kilos of onion peel that just go into general waste when they can be recycled. So there are huge elements and cost savings that can be made in that. Um, we've moved away from, from certain things and now um, a lot of our things are glass bottle based as well. So our glass bottle recyclable bin is there. But food waste in the kitchen, portion control, making sure all of those elements that we're not over uh, cooking, we don't have excess, making sure all of those things are, are attainable. And look, for a franchise model, key, absolutely key, because it's where your profit um, is. So there needs to be ways of making sure that that is. I believe I have that. I also know that when we are creating these products and... Um, you have people that are responsible for the kitchen. Like I said, handing down leadership roles to certain members of staff that trickle that down as well, really important. And with the sustainability thing of people, um, staff policing other staff, making sure they're not just chucking things away or just using something once and, and then binning it, uh, making sure that if things can be reused, they can. Um, and, and all within... The, the business's uh, management point of view of sustainability. So super important, especially now. Beautiful, beautifully said. I think we're just now at the end of this podcast. Is there something else that you want to mention? Um... Oh, well, first, thanks for having me on the show. Um, absolute pleasure to be here um, and always a pleasure to speak with you. And for me, as, a, as, as maybe a summary of, of what I've done, I guess the vision has been built up out of a journey that has encountered so many issues. I mean, there's days where I thought it's just not worth it. There's days where I thought the time that I'm putting in here, I'm not getting things back from it. And the, believe me, if there's anyone out there that's listened to this and they're like, I've put in so much work and it's just not clicking. It's just not coming together. You could literally be a step away from it. Um, piecing together and all it comes around from is just one connection that can tie the whole thing up and for me the vision that I have of, of, of progressing to this has been uh, I mean the idea of having a franchise business has been well in the making um, being this close to it now is the result of ridiculous amounts of hours of work um, lots of connections um, making sure that the emails that I send, the LinkedIn connections that I send are all piecing in on a jigsaw that is a thousand pieces big. And I'm maybe getting two pieces every six months put into that jigsaw. I mean, that's the length of the journey so far. But I guess I've got maybe another 40 pieces to go. I'm nearly there. So it's it's not about a race. This is a long 
arduous position for someone from the English Riviera in Torquay um, to build an Asian restaurant owners network uh, and be a very strong voice in Asian hospitality. Um, the story that should never have been written is being uh, wrote. So um, if that's an inspiration to anyone out there, I guess for me, building this uh, franchise element is, is really good. I mean, you can follow me at um, Instagram at Rahan Udini. Uh, you can just follow me at BombayExpressTorkey.com as well. And you can check out uh, a lot of the work that we do on the Asian Restaurant Owners Network on Facebook. Um, and it'll be great to interact with anyone out there that uh, would like to get involved or any investors out there that would like to invest uh, in a business that is definitely going to the top. So, uh, yeah, be great to hear from people as well. Well, I think you will manage. I think you will just everything like you said. It just is my pleasure. It was my pleasure also. And I'm honored to meet you. Um, and just, well, just thinking and, and talking about this. And it's, 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 it's this very important message that you said. It's just when you think that you're at this point of giving up, just please give it a little bit, a little a small push, because you never know who you will encounter. You will never know what is there at the end. And you know, actually, you already know because you have this fire burning within yourself that you are able to create beautiful and big things. So it's that is just everyone needs to know that. Just go, never give up, and just focus. And um, people will help you when they. Will, I think. I you. think one more thing is that. If you're finding yourself stuck, and this happened to me, change your circle. I know you see it in quotes and 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 and, and little video, motivational videos across YouTube and whatnot. But it's so true. Like, um, if you can change your circle, I would highly encourage you to do it. If you feel like you're stuck in a rut, you need to go and excel past your point of of where your comfort zone is. And you may have leveled up into that circle and think that's where you need to be. Uh, but believe you and me, you don't have to stop there. Once you've leveled up, you can level up again and again. And I think just continually build on that. You don't have to leave people, but you do have to find um, even more people to connect with. Uh, and that is really, really important. Your team today will not be your team tomorrow. It's just how it works. People move on. People want to uh, assimilate. Don't take it emotionally. Business is black and white. That's really, really important. I learned that the hard way. Um, but that's probably another story for another day. But definitely about um, changing your circle and, and incorporating more and more people. Because the more people that you have connections with, the more doors that are going to open. And suddenly it's that one that you just need and you'll just fly straight through. Perfect. Perfectly said. It's, it's like you said, at some point you outgrow actually. Uh, and when you outgrow yourself, that means that you as a person also need to level up. Um, but that is what you mentioned. And I really love this. Um, I really love this conversation. I would like to thank you for this. Um, we'll talk to you soon. Take yes. care and stay healthy. And we'll be visiting you soon. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for joining our podcast, Consultancy Elite.